Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Misconducts. I'm Eileen, and joining me as always is Colleen. How you doing, Colleen? I am good. We made it back to San Francisco in one piece when we were coming back from L.A., although uh, the drive was mildly eventful. I basically <laughs> have been bad at parking my whole life, and it all finally caught up to me, and my engine shield cover, apparently you have one of those in your car, and mine came off <laughs> on the 5 freeway, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. Uh, we were in L.A. for the Gen Y meetup, and it was a lot of fun. We saw Haley from Murder Road Trip and Lainey from True Crime Fan Club Yay. and her husband, Brett, and we got to hang out with them. And I love them so much, so it was just really fun to see them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was so much fun. And as always, Aaron and Justin are just – they're really amazing. They're so friendly and just awesome. And we had brunch with them before the meetup. And I'm glad we got seats at that brunch place because lemon ricotta pancakes. I mean, do I need to say any more? Those are really good. I do love lemon ricotta pancakes. They're so good. And it was really cool just meeting the other podcasters that came. And we cannot forget to mention how cool it was to meet George and Laura. We got to meet two misconduct listeners. They came all the way out just to hang out and see us. And I'm just really glad it It worked out. I know. It was so sweet. And I'm glad it worked out that I didn't have to leave and be gone so long. I was able to come back and hang out till the end of the night with everybody. So thank you, George and Laura, for coming out. You guys are too sweet. You guys are awesome. But with that, let's get to this week's episode. Now, which of these ways would you choose to reveal your secret crush on someone? A, would you write that person a letter? B, would you tell the person in private in case he rejects you? Or C, would you tell that person that you're gay and you hope he is on national television? So this week's episode takes us to Lake Orion, Michigan. Uh, Lake Orion is in Oakland County, and it's just a small little commuter town. If you're into true crime, you're probably familiar with the Oakland County child killer cases. So this is kind of in that same general area. On March 9th, 1995, 24-year-old Jonathan Schmitz pulled up to an acquaintance's trailer. His acquaintance was 32-year-old Scott Amador. And Jonathan comes to his door, knocks, and questions him about a note that was left on his doorstep. And Jonathan was really upset about the content of the note. They exchange words, and then Jonathan leaves, and Scott assumes he's leaving the property, but what Jonathan is actually doing is going back to his car and retrieving a shotgun he had in the back seat, and comes back and knocks again, and Scott opens the door, sees the gun, tries to close the door, but Jonathan manages to get inside the house. Scott backs away, but it's too late, and Jonathan advances and shoots him twice in the chest. Jonathan flees the scene, but immediately calls 911 and confesses. So this week we will discuss the events that precipitated Scott Amateur's murder. 
Could it have been prevented? And would something like this happen today? So to understand how we got to the day of the murder, you have to go back three days earlier to when Scott and Jonathan taped an episode of The Jenny Jones Show in Chicago. The Jenny Jones Show was a daytime talk show that premiered in the early 90s, and it was kind of piggybacked off of the success of Oprah and her talk show, but this was more in the vein of, like, Jerry Springer and Maury. It was very sensationalized. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, and in most people's opinion, firmly in the trash TV category, although Jenny Jones did not like that label, but you could read her episode title list (laughs) and make that determination for yourself. Exactly. The episode that we're discussing in this episode of our podcast is the most notorious episode of The Jenny Jones Show. And after the taping and then the subsequent events, The Jenny Jones Show significantly dropped in popularity. It did drag on for several more years after 1995, but it was eventually canceled. I feel like a lot of these shows kind of ran their course in the 90s. They basically, I would imagine, just ran out of shocking material. People got smart to their gimmicks and they wanted more appealing type shows like the lifestyle or the interview style shows that you see now like Oprah or Ellen. I honestly, just personal opinion, could not stand those tabloid style shows back then. And I I still can't now (laughs) what little there are. Well, they they seem really they're very repetitive, right? Uh Like their storylines. Again, they were super popular in the 90s. And then I think they, like you said, very quickly ran out of like new material. I remember these types of shows when I would stay homesick from school when I was younger. I would watch like Maury during the day. Mm Um, and then the only other time I can even think that I watch any of these types of shows is when I'm getting my nails done at the nail salon because they just watch Dr. Phil like on a loop uh, in yeah. my nail salon for whatever reason. But I don't think that maybe the storylines on these shows are as controversial anymore, maybe, or maybe we're just kind of desensitized. We've seen it so many times. There's only so many times you can watch Maury and go, are you the father? Are you not the father type of storyline before you're kind of desensitized to the whole thing? I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I think some things are off the table now than they were before some subjects, but yeah. And then it's also just so repetitive of who's, who's the father who, you know, that seems to be the big one. Now I don't watch them, but if I ever catch anything, that seems to be what is the big one. Are you the father or not? Right. And I think that back when there were multiple daytime TV talk shows and they're all competing with each other for good ratings, yeah, they were more willing to do more outrageous things. But then in this episode, we'll kind of see where that lands. Right. One thing I don't like about these shows is that I think that the punchline or the butt of the joke always seems to kind of be at the expense of the person on the show. When sometimes I don't feel like they're fully aware of it. Maybe they are now since these shows have been around for so long. But if you watch older episodes, sometimes I just don't feel like people understand that like they're kind of like the butt of the joke and the studio audience is laughing at them. Yeah. They seem mean-spirited. Very mean-spirited. I mean, and yeah, I don't think sometimes they didn't know or they didn't understand. And I think that just makes it, it's one thing to maybe go on there because you want your 15 minutes of fame and you don't mind, you know, you know, they're laughing at you and you're just going to do it to be on TV, but it just makes it that much more cruel when they don't understand and you have 300 people in a studio audience just and then nationwide in the end laughing at you. I think it's awful. Right. So the topic of the episode that Jonathan and Scott taped was called Revealing Your Secret Crush. And the idea was that the show would fly both parties to Chicago where they taped and the crush would be 
revealed in front of a live studio audience, and Scott and his friend Donna and Jonathan all traveled to Chicago. They taped the episode on March 6th, 1995, and Jonathan and Donna knew each other. They were neighbors, and they were friendly. And then Donna and Scott were friends, and I think they were co-workers who became friends, but Donna was the connection between Scott and Jonathan. So before Jonathan came on stage, Donna and Scott were on stage being questioned by Jenny. And Jenny says to Donna, you know, you've been helping Scott pursue Jonathan. And so Jonathan was backstage. He was not able to hear anything they were talking about. They just discussed how they knew Jonathan. And Donna was a neighbor. Jonathan helped fix her car. And Scott, being friends with Donna, had met him at this time. The first time he met him was when he was fixing her car. So on stage... Jenny asked Scott if he fantasizes about him. Jenny specifically asked about a fantasy regarding a hammock. Scott, you know, embarrassed and nervously says, no, yes, I do have this hammock fantasy and it involves whipped cream and just kind of makes these quips, but they're clearly like pulling it out of them. Yeah. And I guess this is something scandalous for daytime TV, but it's not, I, in my opinion, what he was saying was not particularly raunchy no, at all. And I do think that he was being asked multiple questions and just kind of like, do you have fantasies about him? And Scott was like, oh, yeah, you know, totally, sure. And then Jenny's like, well, what about the hammock fantasy? Like, clearly they had discussed things off camera. Right. And Jenny felt the need to try and pull it out of him when he was on stage. And it's like to get these oohs and ahs from the audience. And apparently the show really encouraged Scott to try to kiss Jonathan and give him a bouquet of flowers on stage. And Scott declined to do either. I also kind of wonder if by declining to do, you know, like declining to kiss him or declining Mm -hmm. to give him a bouquet of flowers, he felt like he needed to answer these questions in clever or funny ways that Jenny was asking him. Probably. Because he had already said no to these other things. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, yeah. exactly. I think so. And I think they're pressured, you know, hey, you kind of, you're on TV. You got to make this look good and you got to give us a show pretty much. Right. So. Right. He declined this thing. And so being, and she was asked, she was, you, we'll see in the video. She is just not, she's relentless in asking him about these things to the point where he, he just has to answer. She also interrupts him a lot, which I think it. I don't like, we're not a fan. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, can exactly. tell already. But the way that the whole thing is kind of set up, it's just very like, she's Such asking a question after question, and the audience is laughing and gasping and just kind of being rowdy. Yeah, uh, it's gross. Yeah, it just has an icky feeling. Yeah, and gross in like the way that you're, you're just, you're embarrassing this person for your own entertainment, and it's gross to me. So Jenny asks if Jonathan is gay, and the two say they don't know, but Scott quips, you know, anything's possible. And then Jenny asks if Jonathan knows if Scott is gay, and yes, he does. Scott was openly gay. His family knew, his friends knew, his coworkers knew. It was not a secret at all. Right. And back to what we were talking about before, anytime Scott says anything about finding Jonathan attractive, the audience just goes nuts laughing and ooing and you know and snickering it's just it's weird so they bring jonathan out and again he couldn't hear what was discussed and he comes out and recognizes donna and gives her a hug and a kiss he shakes scott's hand and they have this really awkward hug it's like one person went for the hug and the other person was not expecting it but the person who went for the hug didn't stop so it's almost like a 
like a hug that it turned just, into it's a side kind hug. of awkward. Yeah, yeah, it's like definitely a weird side hug. It was really kind of awkward. So Jenny reveals to Jonathan that Scott is your secret crush, and Jonathan actually just laughs and turns to them and says, "Hey, you lied to me," and he's embarrassed, but I feel like he's taking it in stride. Then they have him watch the footage back in real time of what Scott and Jenny were talking about, his fantasies and things like that. And you can just tell that Jonathan is becoming more and more embarrassed. And he says he had no idea that Scott liked him, but he says and reiterates a few times he's definitely heterosexual. Jonathan actually recounts their first meeting after Scott had just kind of talked about their first meeting. He says that Donna told him at the time that Scott thinks he's cute and once again was like, you know, that's very flattering, but I am straight. So overall, nothing much happens on tape. Jenny pushes and and asks if there's any chance Jonathan likes Scott. And Jonathan again says no. And he's just trying to act the gentleman at this point. Definitely, it's just becomes more and more uncomfortable to watch the longer Jenny just questions them. And At the end of the show, there's a graphic that pops up with a statistic that says 3% of men report having sexual fantasies about their best friend who's a man. And I feel like that was kind of like adding fuel to the fire as well. So our main takeaway from watching these videos, and we'll link them so you can watch them. You can only see part of the episode because the murder happened three days after the taping. And so the episode didn't have time to air, but with court TV being as popular as it was in the 90s when this trial was in progress, it was on court TV. So pieces of the taped footage were then made public. And that's how we have seen the episode now. I do kind of want everyone to watch it because I think it's important. And you can kind of see how each person who is involved reacts in their body language. Because my first thoughts when I was watching it, I was so irritated. Me too. I was irritated and I was just kind of pissed off. Yeah. And I think it was so blatant what the show was trying to do. And I think they really encouraged Scott to talk about his crush and his fantasies or whatever. But it was all so the studio audience could laugh at it. It felt mean-spirited and that like the butt of the joke and the punchline of the whole thing this entire time was that there's a gay guy here and he has a crush on a straight dude and the straight dude has no idea and that's the joke, you know? Yeah, it's gross to me. It's And I also feel like having Donna on stage was strategic because if Jonathan comes out, he's going to see his friend Donna or his neighbor Donna sitting there and think, oh, Donna's the one that has a crush on me. Right. And then they're like, no, just kidding. It's this guy. And I think you could just tell at some point as kind of the questioning went on, everybody on stage was uncomfortable. And Jenny asked about Scott's fantasies, but he didn't really seem like he wanted to talk about it all that much. I feel like she just really pushed it. Mm -hmm. And I just am uncomfortable with the entire premise of this show being that the joke is, is that somebody who's gay has a crush on a guy. Like, I know it was the 90s or whatever. It's a different time. Not really. It wasn't that long ago. Right. It's still but just the idea that, like, gross. a daytime TV talk show would have this be, the punchline would be, ha, 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 they're gay. It's just so gross to me. I just, ugh. Like I said, I just got, like, a major ick factor from the entire thing. Oh, me too. It's disgusting to me. And in one of the videos we'll link, they tell you how you are pressured as a guest to make make it a quote-unquote good show. So Scott would answer, but definitely didn't want to. But then I feel like he was just trying to make a joke out of the answers because she just kept pushing and pushing and pushing to talk about his fantasies and things like that. But in the end of the video, one of the commenters makes a great point 
You can see the fuse of a bomb lit in Jonathan right there. That was the start of his rage that ends up in a tragedy later. After the taping, that night, Donna, Jonathan, and Scott went out drinking. Allegedly, a sexual encounter took place between Jonathan and Scott. This was something that was alluded to in testimony from the producers of the Jenny Jones show. I, I I don't know if it's true. I couldn't find anywhere that said it was true. I don't personally feel like it's true. It was something that, because Jenny Jones and the producers of the show ended up having to testify in the murder trial. Mm-hmm. And it was something that they alluded to. And their testimony is also something that I kind of took issue with. Right. Made me not like them, which we'll kind of talk about later. But I don't know if I think that that's true. Do you think that that's true? I don't think so. I didn't I didn't see any mention of it other than they're alluding to it. And I, I just doubt it's true. Not only that, they had such like an awkward time overall. Like I don't on stage. I, it didn't seem like anybody was having a good time. Right. Uh, at all. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird thing that the producers threw in there. But I think it's just a red herring for them to. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, like, well, I heard that this happens. Like, you eh, know, I don't know. Let's not talk about our involvement in this whole thing. So right. let's do that. Yeah, I feel like that's what it was. Yeah. So they went out that night and back home, Jonathan is upset. He told friends and family he was humiliated by the whole experience. And I think what was really the issue was he had recently broken up with a fiance and he thought it was her surprising him and he kind of got his hopes up thinking it could be her and this whole secret crush, you know, could be her. And he told everybody that he would marry her and propose to her if he walks out on stage and she was there. And it wasn't. So he ends up going on a bender. So on the morning of March 9th, Jonathan finds a note on his doorstep and it allegedly said something to the effect of, if you want to get it off, I'm the only one that has the right tool. And he was really upset by that because he believed that it was left by Scott And so he had been drinking all night before, and I think for the last couple of days, because like Eileen had said, he was upset, kind of, I I don't think he was upset as much at the time of the taping, but as it kind of sunk in, he got angrier, Mm -hmm. and like you said, kind of more filled with rage. So he gets this note, and he thinks it's from Scott, and he gets in his car and drives to the bank and withdraws a bunch of money out of his savings account. And then he goes and he buys a 12-gauge shotgun. And then he goes somewhere else and buys ammo. So he took the time to go buy the gun and buy the ammo. So he had a lot of time to decide not to go through with any of this at any point in time. Just to throw that right. out there. Yeah, he made like a three-step process to right. get this gun. And at no point did he turn around and decide not to Maybe do this. this isn't a good idea. Yeah. So he drives to Scott's and he waits outside. Apparently he waited outside for a period of time before he went up to the door and knocked and he confronts Scott about the note. Jonathan said that Scott's response was kind of to laugh it off and smile. And I think Jonathan took that as Scott did write the note, although I don't know if it was ever confirmed whether or not Scott wrote the note or not. Not that it matters, but I could see a situation where Scott didn't write the note and Jonathan's like, did you leave this note on my doorstep? And Scott's like, oh my God, like, leave me alone, dude. We already like went through this whole weird experience. Yeah, I get it. And tries to laugh it off. You know, I could see that being just as likely of a scenario. So they kind of have a short conversation about it. And then Jonathan leaves. And like I had said, Scott assumes that he's leaving. 
and shuts the door. But what Jonathan is actually doing is he's going to get the gun out of his car and he comes back, knocks again. Scott opens the door, but he sees the gun and he tries to shut the door really quickly. But Jonathan shoves the barrel of the gun in between the door and the door jam and forces his way inside. And as Scott is backing away, Jonathan shoots Scott twice in the chest with his 12-gauge shotgun and leaves, and he leaves Scott for dead. I guess Scott didn't die right away, but there was no chance of survival. Jonathan then flees the scene, but almost immediately calls 911, and he says relatively calmly to the 911 operator that he had just shot somebody. The 911 operator responds and is like, hey, please remain calm, but can you repeat yourself? And then he sounds much more upset and says, I think I just shot a man. And then he is arrested and taken into custody. Jenny Jones issued a statement almost immediately. She had issued a taped statement, I think, before one of her episodes. And basically expressed her sadness with the whole situation, called it a tragedy, but then squarely put the blame on the... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A shooter, and this is where... I'm not torn on who's responsible. I think Jonathan is responsible. And I think that he's responsible because of some weird deep-rooted homophobia he has and just couldn't handle that a gay guy liked him or whatever, which is absolutely ridiculous for a variety of reasons. But this statement, plus their testimony, the producers and Jenny Jones' testimony, just feels like they're preemptively trying to protect their show in a way. CYA. Oh, yeah. They're just CYA all the way. Yeah. I mean, like you said, 100% Jonathan. But you can't tell me that what they did on the show didn't spark something in Jonathan, I guess, so to speak. And again, it's Jonathan pulling the trigger. It's Jonathan deciding to do everything. But at the same time, it's just what what they did was gross, in my opinion. And I think they're just, yeah, trying to protect their reputation and their show. So the trial took place in Oakland County. And like I said, it had aired on court TV. And that's how we saw the scenes that are available of the taping. Otherwise, I don't know if the show would have seen the light of day. I Obviously, if the murder had not occurred, I feel like it would have aired as normal. But Without Court TV, I don't know that this episode would have ever been released. Jury selection took over a week. And they asked a lot of really personal questions. That, and they were just like, I guess, running through jurors because they were asking about 
mental illness, embarrassing situations, personal feelings about homosexuality, and it's also the 90s, and feelings about betrayal. Jenny Jones and producers were called to testify, and one producer was so smug on the stand, I just honestly wanted to slap her. The prosecution and defense really took them to task, and several revelations came out. Like, the producers were not completely truthful when Jonathan asked if his admirer was a man. And the producer on the stand said, well, I told him it, quote, could be a man or a woman. And then lawyer asked her, well, Jonathan specifically said, if it's a man, I don't want anything to do with this. You reassured him that he is going to be, quote, okay. But her defense was like, well, I told him it's could be a man or a woman. And when he specifically, again, said, if it's a man, I don't want anything to do with this. It's she kind of goes, wink, wink, you'll be fine. And it's it's even in the notes of the production notes that he is against if this is going to be a man or anything kind of weird with that lack of a better term. I don't want anything to do with this. Yet they just reassured him he'd be fine and did it anyway. And I just have a real problem with I think, okay, so it's clear that Jonathan didn't want to participate because he didn't want the admirer to be a man. Mm -hmm. And we could really dig down into those reasons and that homophobia that surrounds that. But in my opinion, I feel like the Jenny Jones show and the producers had a duty to be like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this to this guy because he is so adamant about this person not being a man. But in their minds, in their producer brain, they were probably like, ooh, but wouldn't it be good TV if he just freaked out on camera? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I find so gross about the Jenny Jones show and the whole thing is just that it's almost, oh, this guy's homophobic. So maybe we could actually get some good TV time out of him. That's what it feels like. Kind of back to why don't you try to kiss him and give him flowers after knowing that he was adamant that if this was a man... I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah, it just, it seems, again, major ick factor. Exactly, yeah. So Jenny Jones also testified on the stand, and she said that she's not involved with the planning of show topics for a show that's literally called The Jenny Jones Show, (laughs) which I have a hard time believing. Right. Uh, She said sometimes she's not aware of show topics until the day before they tape. And she claimed that she did not think the topic would cause a problem. Basically, what? This isn't a problem. There's nothing, you know, scandalous about this, even though the entire premise was that it was scandalous or funny. Yeah. Which is dumb. The defense questioned her on a phrase that she had used a couple of times in the taping, saying that she she was there to set the record straight on this crush, which is just like the type of wordplay that kind of backs up the argument that we're like... The entire punchline of this whole entire thing Mm -hmm. is that the guy is gay. Right. Basically, they were implying that she knew that the joke and the punchline of the show was that they were surprising Jonathan with a man and that Scott's homosexuality and putting Jonathan on the spot was the punchline. Jenny Jones says she didn't feel that that's what they were doing at all. And repeatedly said that she didn't understand why she was being asked this question, which I just oh, like, this is what nuts. I mean when I found the, the, uh, the questioning in their testimony to be irritating because oh, they yeah. were just pleading ignorance the whole time. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's just, it just seems so fake and whatever. 
She did stay mostly calm throughout the testimony, though. I think they probably, her lawyers probably prepped her pretty well. But she did go to great lengths, like I said, to plead ignorance about the topic and firmly reiterated that what happened was very, very sad, but not her fault. The defense's argument was that Jonathan had mental illness, manic depressive disorder, which was exacerbated by drinking. He had drug problems previously, and the producers encouraged everyone to drink before the taping. So that led into it as well. And then they went for the gay panic defense. For those of you that are not familiar with the gay panic defense, it's when a person commits a violent act in response to, quote, unwanted homosexual advances. It's generally used when the responsibility of the defendant is just undisputed. So in Jonathan's case, we know he did it, but the defense tried to invoke the gay panic defense to claim that Jonathan temporarily had no control over his actions because a gay guy liked him. And in order to claim this defense, it's generally required that the defendant's actions need to be immediate. So we've talked about this before, and we've also talked about like the trans panic defense right. in the previous episode that we did. And we hate this defense, and most most courts of law don't really recognize it as a valid reason to commit a violent act. Uh, there are actually states in the U.S. that bar it from being used in court. It was a way for people just to get away with these heinous crimes based on their own biases against a group of people that are already marginalized. And they could go into court and be like, well, he just made me so angry because he said that he liked me, so I killed him. And we used to live in a time where a jury of our peers would be like, that sounds fine, whatever. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. And yeah, so this, yeah, we've been there before, pisses us off a lot. It's just a terrible defense. Exactly. You see this with people of color and the LGBT communities and it's infuriating. Just think there are people out there that think the mere fact that the color of my skin or my sexuality gives you an excuse to harm or kill me. And anyone who rages at someone for something like that is a danger to society and should not be out of jail, I think. Yeah. They, and they also think like it's a an excuse for them to kill you. And mm-hmm. also they should not have to face consequences for it which yeah. in a court of law, which is just annoying. You made me panic. Yeah. <sighs> Anyhow. So the prosecution claimed that Jonathan's motivation was embarrassment. And because he had a general dislike of gay people, he didn't want to be, quote, gay or associated with being gay. And Jonathan had claimed that he was embarrassed on a national scale, right? Like in front of like a national audience. But the episode didn't air at the time that the murder was committed. So he was embarrassed in front of a studio audience, which is, you know, that's still embarrassment in front of a crowd of people is never fun. But he's claiming that he's facing this like nationwide, like everybody's laughing at him. And that just wasn't necessarily the case. Right. Again, it's kind of rooted in the fact that he just didn't want to be associated with a gay guy. And Jonathan was charged with first-degree murder, but the jury returned a verdict of second-degree murder. And do you... I actually wanted to, like, ask you if you felt that by charging him with first-degree murder, do you feel like he was overcharged, or do you think that that was an appropriate charge? I think it was a very appropriate charge, first-degree. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually do agree with you. (laughs) <laughs> Although we rarely disagree. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, true. I say that like we ever actually disagree, which was very rare. Uh, but I, I do think that first degree murder would have been 
uh, is definitely not an overcharge by the prosecution. No, not at all. Yeah, he premeditated that, so. Uh, a new trial was ordered after an appeal, and Jonathan was retried and convicted again of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison. And there was also a civil trial because Scott's parents filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Jenny Jones show and Warner Brothers Studios, who distributed the show. And they claimed that Jonathan was ambushed by the show and that the show never considered the effect that taping that episode, like they never considered the effect that that would have on Jonathan Schmitz. They said that the show exposed Scott to potential harm by not considering the situation that they had created. And Warner Brothers and the Jenny Jones show claimed that they had no responsibility to Scott or Jonathan and that they were free and willing participants of their show. And whatever happened outside of the show is an outside of the show problem. Scott's parents actually won a $25 million suit against them. The jury ruled that the show was negligent and created a potentially dangerous situation without considering the consequences. But the verdict was appealed, and in 2002, the Michigan Court of Appeals overturned the verdict, and that decision was appealed to the Michigan Supreme Court, and they declined to hear the case, so Scott's parents ended up losing on appeal. The Jenny Jones show seriously declined after Scott's murder. Tabloid shows in general were kind of on the decline in the late 90s, but this whole situation left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, and the Jenny Jones show never really recovered the viewership. After 12 years on air, the Jenny Jones show was canceled in 2003, and it actually was almost canceled multiple times. It was bailed out with these last-minute deals from the network. And then after being sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison in 1995, Jonathan was released in 2017. He's now 47 and spent 22 years in prison, and he was released on parole for good behavior. Scott's brother did an interview after it was announced that Jonathan was going to be released and was really skeptical that anything had changed and just said that he hoped that he had learned something after being in prison for as long as he was. And the amateur family lawyer maintained that Jenny Jones show should have faced consequences for their role in the murder. So for final thoughts, just overall thoughts on this case, it the more I read about it and then sat and thought about what I had read, the more upset I found it. Obviously, it's upsetting and jarring to read about at the time, but just where society was at the time and how the episode was set up, like the more I thought about that part of it, it just upset me more and more. Yeah. Like a guy tells you that he likes you and your response is to get mad so you go and kill him. It's just, I'm glad gay panic isn't really a legal defense that's allowed to be used anymore and that legitimacy isn't given to it because that idea is just so messed up to me. Watching the footage really gives me just a really bad feeling. It kind of it made me feel really protective of Scott, almost not just because we know what happens next, but also because I feel like just in the moment, it's just a big joke that everybody is laughing at. And the, the whole joke is that he's gay and it just, ugh. Yeah. No, it's really sickening. And I remember these types of shows, like I said, I, I know they're still around to a degree, but I remember them making fun of the gays punchlines. And I'm so happy that these days, something like that I don't think would fly anymore. There would have been a lot of pushback, I think. Yeah. If so, like the Jenny Jones show would have been canceled. Oh, yeah. Like, it would have like boycotts and the whole nine. 
Yeah. But back then, it was totally okay to have a whole TV segment or show that's all about making fun of a gay guy, and people just ate it up. And it's, yeah, it is just sick, really. The thing that got me was Scott's mother at the end of the videos. She talks about a reoccurring dream she has where it's Scott laying there with two shotgun shots in his chest and smoke coming out. And it's just really heartbreaking. And so a point of contention or a discussion point that I think a lot of people brought up was, do you think that the show needed to bear more responsibility for their role in this? Or was it like the show said, it's not their their fault or their problem? A professor of communication at American University said, what we have here is the retailing of emotional conflict for the casual pleasure of viewers. The consequence is human tragedy. Now, Jonathan, in the end, he is 100% responsible for his actions, and but they did this as some big practical joke to make fun of Scott, to make fun of Jonathan, who is straight, and thought he was going to be confronted with a woman who liked him and then, you know, just fanned this flame. They didn't know him. They didn't know how he would take this. So, no, they, they didn't pull the trigger, but they sure as hell threw some gas on a fire, and I think that's irresponsible. All for ratings and to snicker at the gay dude and his straight crush. And I think that they did know that there was at least a little bit of a fire there because mm-hmm. when Jonathan was so adamant about if, it's a if man. this is a guy, if I'm going to come out and there's going to be a guy sitting there, I don't want to be involved. And I again, I think that the producers in their mind and in, in just like doing their quote unquote doing their job, they're like, oh, this could potentially make for really good TV. Right. Because I think if this happened today, like I said, the show would have been canceled. I think that if this exact situation had happened in 2018, I think that the Jenny Jones show would have been canceled and not been on for, what was it, seven more years or something like that? Mm-hmm. I, Absolutely, yeah. I don't like how the show spent a lot of time putting the blame on Jonathan just so they could say, like, but because it, it wasn't our fault, you know, because the blame is on Jonathan. And I don't think that he should be given a pass because, oh, he's homophobic and doesn't really like gay people, so they shouldn't have done that to him. It's like, yeah, yeah. they shouldn't have done that to him, but the fact of the matter is, is that he still harbored these feelings about gay people and then violently acted on them. And I don't think that we should take the blame off of him in that way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that you can blame, you know, Jonathan and then absolve the show or blame the show and then absolve Jonathan. I think that they created the situation together. I know we touched on it, but do you agree with the second degree murder charge? I would have been happier with first-degree murder. Like I said, I don't think that that was an overcharge by the prosecutor. Yeah, I think he had to go to the bank to withdraw money and then went to two stores to buy the gun and the ammunition. And then he went and sat outside of Scott's house before even going to the door for the first time. Right. And then left the gun in the car when he went to the door the first time, had to go back to the car. So, you know, they had mentioned that he had drug problems and that he went on a bender whatever he there was like six different periods of time in the whole buying of the gun and going up to the door where he could have just turned around and gone home and not done this terrible thing exactly this was a planned homicide that was done out of rage but it was planned and he got a lesser sentence than if scott was straight in my opinion i feel like if scott was straight he would most likely be spending his life in jail but this seems to be the case for minorities in our legal system which isn't right That wraps up our show for this week. Thanks for listening. But before we go, we have some housekeeping. 
We want to say a thank you to some of our listeners who took the time to leave us a five-star review. So thank you so much to Sam Clan and Howls from the Hills for your reviews. Your reviews help us out a lot, and we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us the feedback. And we also want to say a huge thank you to Chris L. for your Patreon support. We could not do the show without the support from our listeners, especially our our Patreons. And if you would like to see what we have to offer, you can go to www.patreon.com slash misconductpodcast. Do you want some misconduct merch? Guess what? We have a store set up. You can order t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, water bottles, magnets, and more. If you're interested, you can go to our website, www.misconductpodcast.com slash store. And remember to always use the discount codes because there's always discount codes and you can save a couple bucks when you place your order. Also, stay tuned till the end to hear a word from our sister podcast, Unearthly. Whether or not you believe in the paranormal, this podcast is for you. As long as you enjoy a good story told in a fun and spooky way, you'll enjoy Unearthly. And for those of you who do believe in the paranormal, all these stories are based on true events written and retold by Nicole, who has personally interviewed them about their experience. So if you want to give Unearthly a try, we are on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can go to www.unearthlypodcast.com. And that wraps us up for another episode of Misconduct. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have a second, head on over to our Facebook group to discuss this week's case. We love our group and we love being able to interact with you guys. So if you are not a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the cases. So hop on over and let us know what you thought of today's case. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Misconduct Pod. We also want to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music. So be sure to check them out on Bandcamp to check out more of their music. And if you have a case you'd like to see covered, drop us a line. You can send it to our new email address, hosts at misconductpodcast.com. And we will see you next week. with the paranormal? Do you love good stories? Ones that are shrouded in mystery, intrigue? Stories that evoke that spine-chilling sensation we hate to love? Stories that make us wonder, could that really be true? If so, Unearthly Paranormal Stories is for you. Join me, Nicole, every other Friday for a new story based on actual paranormal experiences. For more information, check out our website at www.unearthlypodcast.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.